0: This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are in general to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. In the last podcast, number 18, we discussed this idea of humanity, Western Christians being born with this idea of original sin. We also talked about the idea that if original sin, if somehow sin could be eradicated from the world, you would also be taken away something else, and of course, that being consciousness. So we then looked at the impact of Saint Jerome, this uh, idea of migration patterns, the importance of the Salic Law, that inheritance of any land must be distributed equally to all male heirs. That law is what's going to prevent any idea of empire in the future from ever taking place in the European heartland. We then looked at and finished with this idea of dramatic society, a group of people that were beginning to start rubbing elbows with the former peoples of the Roman Empire thinking in social not political terms, customs regulating everything, etc. So here we are about to discuss podcast 19 in world history and we're clearly can pick up a pattern here of the domination of Christianity on Western European on the Western European population. However, please note that again, this is not the world's first monotheistic religion, meaning one God. However, it is one that clearly is having such an impact that it is thought to be one of the theories as to either why Rome fell, why it moved to the east as a second theory, or third that it so infiltrated the Roman Empire that it still exists today under the now modified name Roman Catholic Church. Monotheism was thought to be the cure-all to people going to war. We don't have to worry about all these mythological gods where there was practically a menu in which to choose from depending upon what your needs were as long as you pray to the right god or goddess at the right time for the right reason. Monotheism was thought to eliminate all of that and thus would be a cure going forward in eliminating the human inclination to go to war. Oh, Sadly, sadly, as we're going to see here going forward, were they sadly mistaken? So let's look at then what this idea is that the Roman Empire, we already talked extensively or discussed extensively about this notion about how Rome faded away starting in 476. We went over the different uh, historians and their theories we also then looked at how the, what about they expanded on the theory that the Roman uh, Empire simply modified its name, the Roman Catholic Church. But I never really got in deep yet about what is this, what's behind the theory that Rome, rather than becoming the Roman Catholic Church, certainly faded in importance from Rome proper in modern-day Italy. But what's with this theory that it moved east to modern-day Istanbul? Well, here's where we begin today's podcast by looking at that the eastern half or eastern part of the Mediterranean world that also belonged to the Roman Empire continued to maintain its customs long after the two and 300s AD, while the western half of the Roman Empire started to come under Germanic domination. And that's not to imply that they were conquered by the Germanic people of the north, but rather the people in the eastern half of the Roman Empire across the Aegean Sea, which is largely what separates the Eastern versus Western half of the Roman Empire, former Roman Empire, that it was believed that the Romans were losing their customs, that they were socially as well as politically assimilating with these Germanic peoples. Their lives were becoming more complicated, as we'll see after the 400s AD, while the East... While well, they just seemed again to continue to enjoy the harmony of the former guise under the former guise of the Roman Empire. So, the, Rom- the Roman Catholic Church of the East, therefore, continued and became much stronger than the ties were in the West. As a result, for the West, tension mounted between which was stronger, the Church or the state. To the Romans in the eastern half of the empire, there was never any question. The church is always more important than the state. And a dichotomy started to form between that same population on the eastern versus western half of the Roman Empire. And what do I mean by tension mounting in the west between which was stronger, church versus state? That's what the re- the very near future podcasts we'll discuss under the likes of, for example, uh, Pippin the Short and Charlemagne and that whole family of the Merovingians and Carolingians. Clearly, these were politicians that were in bed with Roman Catholic leadership. The East was turned off to that. In fact, in some cases, they were disgusted by it. So they maintained their own way of doing things. I'm going to repeat that. They maintained their own way of doing things. What's worse, or added to the uh, split or the tension between the Rust and the East, is that the harmony of the East further infuriated the West. It angered them. Finally, in 1054 AD, and again, I know I'm jumping ahead 500 years from where we were starting in the last podcast, and we will get there. I'm just simply giving a an overview of where things are going, and then we'll be backing up in later podcasts to start tearing apart and looking at more detail what specifically happened in the 700s, 800s, 900s AD that led specifically to the split in the Rome, the first split of the Roman Catholic Church. But it was in the year 1054 AD when tension finally caused the Eastern Catholic Church and the Western Catholic Church to split completely apart. That split is what gave birth to what is still known to this day as the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, let's unpack this idea of orthodox or orthodoxia. Simply put or translated orthodox or orthodoxia simply means right way, not better way, certainly not inferior way, but the right way. The Eastern Catholic Church didn't so much think that they were breaking off to do something new, as rather they were interpreting what the West was doing was beginning to change, and they wanted to keep to their, pardon this trite phrase I'm using, to the same old, same old. They wanted to maintain the Roman Catholic customs in the way that they had been, had been doing for centuries now. It's the West, you're the ones that changed, not us, the East. Now, this is the event in 1054 AD. Again, I need to remind you the, to the listening audience, I am a Roman Catholic. I went to nine years of the Dominican nuns and Sisters of Mercy, four years of the Marist Brothers taught then at St. Xavier University, also taught by the Vincentian uh, scholars as well at DePaul University. Therefore, in my first 11 years of teaching at the college level, the way I presented this to my students was different than the way I just presented it to you listening to this podcast now. Because if you notice, I didn't place a blame. I did not identify a party as being responsible. However, again, that's different than the way I presented it in the first 11 years, not including the idea of the way I taught it in high school. So when I say that who is to blame, the way I taught it years ago was that the East broke off. They are the ones that left the Roman Catholic Church. The question really is, though, is that the case? So to expand on this, no, I'm not going to enlighten you on one of my readings or anything that I've done over the years, although there's time and a place for that. Rather, I want to bring you to October of 2011. I don't remember the date specifically, but it was October of 2011. I was on a red-eye flight out of Cleveland to Chicago to be with my family as we were still making the transition, moving out to Cleveland for my new position as a tenure track history professor at Cuyahoga Community College. So there I am getting on the uh, plane and I asked the flight attendant, I said, is this gonna be a busy flight? She said, no, not really, but some, some rows are gonna have uh, two people in them, but nobody will have three rows, three people per row. And I thought, well, that, that's good to know, I'll take that. So I sit down and just as we're about to shut the door, I'm on the aisle seat, and I enjoy the fact that I have nobody in the middle seat. Nobody is on the window seat. Just as about the door closes, I hear, excuse me, sir. And I was reading, and I look up, and as my eyes come up, I'm looking at a pair of black shoes, black pants. Look up further, black shirt, and the customary items that Orthodox priests wear. So I pulled my legs back to the side. He scooted in in front of me and sat down at the the window seat. And I resumed my reading after, you know, saying good morning as as he returned it as well with a tried smile. Well, me and my big mouth, we were delayed in takeoff. So I, I couldn't leave well enough alone. And I looked up at him and I said, Father, and he wasn't reading or anything. He was just looking out the window. I said, Father, a question for you. He said, "Okay." I said, 1054. And he said, the break. I said, yes, sir. Why? He said, why what? Why'd you leave? And he looked at me and a genuine smile now and he turns towards me and he says, wouldn't your priests and nuns and brothers that taught you be so proud of you? I felt like a skeleton sitting there when he said that. I'm getting chills just recalling the conversation. And I said, well, hold on here, back up a minute. I said, what do you mean they'd be proud of me? And he says, you're an ardent Roman Catholic. I said, okay, uh, true. I mean, there was no way they could identify me as that, but he correctly did. And he said, and you're reflecting what you have been taught and what they've been teaching for millennia now. And I said, okay. He said, yes. And they'd be proud of you for literally not even thinking twice that maybe the Eastern Orthodox Church didn't break off, didn't walk away, that maybe the West cut us off from them. My world, ladies and gentlemen, literally spun around me at that moment. I had never thought that just maybe the way I was being taught about the rise of the Orthodox Church didn't exactly play out the way I had been taught. And therefore, and I said, well, then your perspective, Father, as to who kicked who out or who walked out, and he hadn't perhaps gave me the most mature and and academically astute and accurate answer. What difference does it make? Nobody can point to specific documents any longer or specific people that said they're the ones that started it. So what difference does it make? The, as long as we can harmoniously coexist, isn't that the most we can ask for at least right now in the political climate around the world? And it is something to think about. But that is what rise again to the Eastern Orthodox Church. Occasionally, you'll hear about the Orthodox Church in the, in the news. However, it could be a more specific group. You'll hear about the Russian Orthodox Church, the uh, Romanian Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox. These are all subsects within the Orthodox Church. However, please remember again that the, the idea of orthodoxia is not that they were implying to do something different. They wanted to maintain what they thought were the tried and true customs of the Roman Catholic Church that the West had been deviating from over the past several hundred years. And we will get to those events. I'll flesh them out about what those specific events were and remind us once again, when we get chronologically to the year 1054, this was the reason for the break, regardless at this point of who left who. However, please note too that with the Orthodox Church, you can clearly see that symbolically as they make the sign of the cross in the opposite direction of that of the Western Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic follower makes the sign of the cross from the hand to the forehead, down to the lower part of the abdomen, from the left shoulder to the right shoulder. The Orthodox does that in the opposite direction. It is head. To abdomen, but right to left versus left to right. So that's what the rise of the Eastern Orthodox Church, just foreshadowing events that that obviously will take place, still talked about in the news today. I will eventually bring us up to where the current Roman Catholic Church, Pope uh, Francis, where he is at currently and still trying to heal this rift, which is, as we know, literally only 34 years away from the 1000 year anniversary. The other faith that we need to talk about is the rise of Islam, the Islamic faith and the Muslims. Once again, like Jesus Christ, we talked about him because he was a human being that once walked around the Roman empire. Likewise, Muhammad, an individual that was on this earth from 570 A.D. to 632 A.D. in the modern-day Middle East, more specifically around modern-day Saudi Arabia. We talk about him because he was also a historical figure at this time. He had religious visions that he began to discuss, that people began to listen to, that he have also eventually put down um, in writing as well as the writing of his followers. The popularity of his visions spread by the time of his death, in six thirty-two, just some things there to keep in mind when we're talking about the rise of the of an additional great religion. We've taught, we've discussed in prior podcasts the rise of Judaism, the rise of Christianity, Roman Catholicism. Now the rise of Islam. First off, Allah is not a proper name, but it is a contraction of the word Al Ilah, meaning the God. What about Muhammad? is problematic to some outsiders of that religion to this day. Some of the themes that he discusses that we'll unpack in here and in later podcasts is, is important to understand, and I'm just going to do a quick summary of the four major ones here. First off, he outlines in the Quran that humans need to recognize our responsibility to fellow humankind to outsiders that was almost can be interpreted as condescending hey we already know we need to do that muhammad's response then why aren't you doing it you see look at the way that that's phrased humans need to recognize muhammad's not claiming to teach something new recognize look at that word that breaks down to two words re cognate cognate meaning to know re meaning again he is saying I, I know you once knew as I once knew, but we need to be reminded of this. This is what these visions are telling me. We need to be reminded, to recognize, to know once again, our responsibility. Responsibility, the ability to respond. He's not telling everybody to sell all their possessions, everything they have and give it to the poor, because then they're going to be destitute and in need. And where does that get them? No, what he's saying is to be responsible within our own means to fellow humankind. So that was one important theme that he discusses. The second one is the resurrection of the dead, something that parallels that with Christianity. No difference there. He also talks about this idea of paradise and heaven, as Jesus Christ discussed many times. And a fourth thing that he talks about is the tortures of hell, which, of course, means he was obviously a married man. No, I'm just kidding you. No, I'm just kidding. My wife, I I love her to pieces. We have a great marriage. Uh, But no, he does talk about the tortures of hell. All right, in terms of Judaism and Christianity, Muhammad was not looking to make a break. He believed that Judaism and Christianity drew from the teachings of the biblical Abraham, but that humankind had strayed. That's, that's all. It, it's not something that he wanted to eradicate to eliminate these other faiths. Not at all. In fact, A vast majority of Arabs by the 6th century CE not only accepted Allah as their God, but insisted that he was the same God as Yahweh, the God of the Jews, as well as Jesus Christ, the God of the Christians. However, he did not see Jesus as divine. And that would sow the seeds of eventual tension. Now, a lot of this that I'll be discussing are found in a variety of books, even an interview, which is certainly not intended, I'll talk about briefly in a moment. Um, But for example, you can find a lot of this information in the book, No God But God, by Reza Aslan. He's an Iranian American religious scholar and that specifically there that I just talked about can be found on page eight, if you'd like to expand on this on your own. But by his own admission, Muhammad's message was an attempt to reform the existing religious beliefs and cultural practices of Islamic pre-Islamic Arabia, so as to bring the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians to the Arab peoples. If you think that that's a stretch, if you think that that is a misinterpretation, then consider that in chapter 42, verse 13 of the Quran that where it states, God has established for you, the Arabs, the same religion enjoined on Noah and on Abraham, on Moses and on Jesus. Where again, then I'm using this term, the Quran. The Quran is the sacred writings of Islam. The Old Testament for the Jews, the New Testament and Gospel for the Christians, the Quran for the Muslims. No God, but God. Read that part of it, pages 100 through 105, where the Quran translated literally means recitation, to recite. Why are people drawn then to Islam? Largely because of its straightforwardness. Islam simply means submission to God, submission to Allah. Then who is a Muslim? Simply put, one who submits. Just a very very bold example, or a obvious example of its straightforwardness. But no, it's not straightforward, Chris. I'm not a Muslim, but I hear about all the regulations with having to pray five times a day, on and on. Well, Consider this if you think that that's involved or too much. Consider this. I was in the Middle East, been in the Middle East a few times, but this was on my second time there when I was in the country of the United Arab Emirates. And I was with colleagues of mine. We were on a bus coming back from, a, uh, excuse me, on our way to a relatively late dinner. It was about 7 p.m. Now, we were in no hurry, but I noticed that around 6.55, P.M. people were starting to pull over to the side of the road. I'm not saying it was the the exact time that they do this. I just happened to notice that that was the time. And I'd been in the Middle East long enough now to know that this was the preparation for evening prayer. So I motioned to my colleagues and I said, hey guys, I said, if we're not in a hurry, I said, if our bus driver is a Muslim, are we comfortable just letting him pull over to the side if he wishes to? Great, Great idea, Chris. Yeah, no problem, we're in no hurry. So with that, I walked up to the bus driver and I said, sir, I said, if you don't mind me asking, are you a Muslim? And he says, yes, I am. And I said, okay. I said, we are more than comfortable. I said, we're not going to leave you a bad review. I said, if you'd like to pull over and say your evening prayers, we are more than comfortable with that. And he says, thank you. Thank you so much. He says, no, I'll, I'll say them here. And he pointed to his heart. So again, just like when I was on the tarmac in Cleveland, had to talk to your Orthodox priest, couldn't keep my mouth shut. Well, I couldn't keep my mouth shut here either. I was about to turn away from him, and I actually looked back, and I pointed to the jumper seat opposite him, and I said, may I? And he says, certainly. So I sat down. I said, I won't keep you. I know you want to begin your prayer in your heart. I said, but I said, can I ask you a question? I said, five times a day? Why? Now, I'm being blunt with you, my podcast listeners, but I asked that much more respectfully than that, but I was essentially asking why five times a day? And he said, uh, may I ask how what you are? I said, I'm Roman Catholic. I'm a Christian. He says, ah, my uh, girlfriend. My girlfriend's a Christian. I said, oh, okay. He says, I love love going to her weekend. What do you call it? A ma-? I said, a mass. He says, "Yes, yeah, I love going to that mass. I said, really? He says, yes. You know what my favorite part is? I said, what's that? He said, it's, it's when everybody sticks their hands out to one another, and they shake hands. I said, "Ah, the sign of peace." Yes, he says, "I love that." He says, "What I don't understand is what follows." So I'm thinking, immediately after the sign of peace, what follows next, right? I know we're just about—we're already in the liturgy, of the Eucharist—at that point in the Mass, we're going about to distribute the Body of Christ. I said, I, "I'm not sure what part of the Mass." He, said, "Oh, no, 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 not in the Mass." he said i'm talking about what follows after the mass i said oh okay i said what, what are you referring to he said well we shake hands in mass we smile we they say what do you say i said peace be with you he says wonderful love those words but then we get out into the parking lot and somebody cuts you off and you're not getting the sign of peace anymore you're getting a rather uh pointed sign with a middle finger and i laughed and i said oh yeah i said okay admittedly he says you see that's why five times a day. And my smile ran away and I said, wait a minute, I'm not making the jump. And he said, you see where I'm at? And I physically looked at him and he said, in the driver's seat? I said, yes. He said, you pray five times a day, you constantly remember, you're not in the driver's seat. Allah is in the driver's seat. Five times a day, it gets pretty hard to forget that. He said, how do I betray my brother when I know I have to pray in an hour? When I know collectively my community will be praying in an hour or two hours or in 10 minutes. Even if I did do wrong and I refuse to pray, my fellow, my brethren around me will remind me it is time to pray. And he shrugged his shoulders and gave me a warm smile. That's why. So. And it really was enlightening to me as I learned from him. We talked a little bit longer about this straightforwardness, this idea of praying five times a day. So with that though, this was the beginning of this religion called Islam, which today based on headcount is the world's largest religion followed by Christianity. However, it would not be long after Muhammad's death in 632 AD that a rift or a break would show up or manifest itself in Islam. And it's a break that is still ex- exists in the world today that also, sadly, is the cause of a lot of religious unrest, sadly, and a lot of unnecessary bloodshed as well. When we come back in the next podcast, we're going to look at then and examine the reason for this break within Islam of what will eventually give us what becomes known as the Shiite and the Sunni sects of the Islamic faith. And then finally, we'll also discuss the chief misunderstandings between Christianity. And Muslims. So, thank you very much for listening today. Go to my website, cekinsella.com. Please email me with any questions or comments you might have, or specifically book re- recommendations as well. If you like what we discussed, too, please leave me your review on whatever uh, platform that you're listening to this on. Thanks again, and have a great day.